If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 205 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Dr. Wanda Wallace, a globally recognized expert on leadership, specifically on improving leadership by improving the quality of conversations. Before we get to the high quality conversation between Jeff and Wanda, we have a couple of items to highlight that we believe Leading Learning listeners will find valuable. The first of these is what we describe as our informal learning business curriculum. We've recently curated and categorized a number of the episodes that Salisa and I have done together over the years that focus on the domains that fall within the Tagoras learning business maturity model. Collectively, these episodes represent a great way to build or improve your knowledge in essential areas of the work that we all do as learning business professionals and leaders. You can go through these episodes on your own or go through them collaboratively with others in your organization. At the time that we're publishing this episode, the informal curriculum is the very first post listed on the homepage at leadinglearning.com, but you'll always be able to find it by going to leadinglearning.com slash curriculum. Do please check out that informal curriculum and we hope you'll share it with others. We think it's a very valuable resource. And another valuable resource we want to highlight is our Leading Learning newsletter. As a subscriber to the newsletter, you'll get a digest of all the podcast episodes published each month. You'll also get our monthly Leading Links email in which we curate links to resources that we've identified as valuable to learning business professionals. And then finally, you'll get notified whenever we offer free Leading Learning webinars or other events. You can sign up for the newsletter at leadinglearning.com slash newsletter. Now, having highlighted those valuable resources, let's get back to another valuable resource, namely the interview with Wanda Wallace. Jeff, you got the honors this time. Can you share a bit about what the two of you discuss? Sure. Wanda is someone I've known since the 1990s dot-com days of e-learning, back when she was at Duke's Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, and and you and I were at an e-learning startup that worked with top business schools. She now serves as the managing partner of Leadership Forum, LLC, where she helps organizations improve the quality of their conversations in every aspect, from strategic insight to talent to teams and individual capability. And in the last several years, she's been focused on helping women advance in their careers. And then basically as an extension of that work, uh, she's also focused on the potential trap for both women and men who are perceived as expert executors. So basically the the experts in their organizations on, on particular areas of the business. Now, her latest book, You Can't Know It All, Leading in an Age of Deep Expertise, explains why that's an issue and what to do about it. And then finally, I definitely don't want to uh, neglect mentioning that Wanda has a weekly radio show or podcast of her own called Out of the Comfort Zone, and I got to visit with her on that recently. We'll be sure to link to that. And basically, everything I've just mentioned is territory that we cover in in this interview, from uh, quality conversations to women in leadership to alternatives to being an expert leader to Wanda's own experience with podcasting. So listeners will find plenty of great insights from Wanda in the conversation, as well as plenty of food for thought. 
So Jeff, in just a a second here, you're going to give us some reflection questions to go along with this episode. And dear listener, we'll remind you that the reflection questions are always available as part of the show notes. So you can find those that go along with this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 205. You might consider the reflection questions on your own after you listen to this episode, and or you might pull your team together and use part or all of the podcast episode for a group discussion. So, Jeff, what do you suggest we listen for during this episode? Well, first, as we've already referenced, um, improving the quality of conversations is a big part of Wanda's focus, and it's a topic we explore in some depth in the interview. So pay close attention to that part of the conversation and think about some of the important conversations that have happened recently in your organization and how were they or how are they not high quality? Next, at the core of Wanda's recent book is the concept of what she calls the spanning leader. So listen to our discussion about that concept and ask yourself, to what extent is my value in being an expert, and to what extent am I helping to enable others and create value through being a spanner? And do I need to shift that balance in any way? Okay, so focusing in on high-quality conversations and on taking stock of our own value within the organization where we work. Those are great areas to keep in mind as we roll the interview with Wanda Wallace. Hey there, I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. As is clear from our name, we are very focused on leadership here on the podcast. And so for this episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Wanda Wallace, someone who's not only an old friend, but also a dyed-in-the-wool, globally recognized expert in leadership. Wanda, welcome to Leading Learning. Thanks, Jeff. I love that invert introduction, dyed-in-the-wool leadership expert. I'm going to quote you on that one from now on. And globally recognized as well. I mean, we, Even you know, better. We, we need to tell the story. You, you are in, indeed globally recognized. And, and we've, we've provided you know, some background on you in our introduction, sort of the official bio bits. But um, you know, to kick off our conversation, I, I'd love for listeners to hear a bit more about what you actually do in your day-to-day work and and what motivates you to be so focused on leadership? Well, you know, leadership is a big topic. Definitely. And in some ways, it means absolutely everything. So let me dry, drill that down to what it is that I get most passionate about. And what I like to say, Jeff, is I am absolutely committed to changing the world. Mm. That's my mission, my purpose, my be reason to being. And I often joke I may have to do that one person at a time, and it's a slow journey, but that's okay. But what I believe, what makes me excited about that one is if you think about what adds the biggest stress to our work lives, it really comes down to the people that we interact with that we don't get, don't understand, don't get along with, don't really know how to talk to. And if you could change the quality of the conversations that happen among people that are just not seeing eye to eye, we could begin to solve some phenomenal problems and take a lot of stress out. So my passion about changing the world is really about changing the way we talk to each other, Mm. the way we communicate, the way we interact. That's what I care about. That's what I spend my time doing. And I'll do that one-on-one with coaching. I'll do that in speaking engagements. I'll do that in classroom settings. I'll do that in webinars. You line up any medium where I can talk about that message, and that's how I'm going to, that's what I want to do. Well, and, you know, that I know is just a a major focus of your work, the whole idea of um, of better conversations. I mean, for you, 
let me think of how to come at this. You know, there, there are all sorts of perspectives on what the qualities of great leadership are. Um, everybody has opinions about that. You know, there's a new book that comes out about it every minute, I think. Um, I mean, from your perspective, when you see great leadership, does that, does that mean great conversations are going on? What, what are the qualities of, of great leadership for, for you? Well, there's one big quality, but let me answer your definition more directly. Uh, you know, every time I'm working with a group, which is hundreds of, well, actually thousands of people in any given year, I always ask that group at the beginning, name somebody in your organization that you admire as a leader. And I wanted somebody you know well enough to know what they're really like, not just the CEO who looks good on stage. And I ask people to list those qualities. And the qualities haven't deviated for 25 mm. years. And it's some of the same stuff we would all expect. So I want somebody who can make decisions. I want somebody who cares about me. I want somebody who can coach me and give me good feedback. I want somebody who trusts me and respects me. I want somebody who walks the talk and believes what they said. I want somebody who has a clue about what it is we need to go and do. I want somebody who opens their network and helps me out. I mean, those are the core. It's our courage. I mean, it's all that. All of those are conversations. Mm. So, I mean, if you come down to the one of the words I think is so important is trust. At the end of the day, trust is a judgment. I decide to trust you. And I'm going to decide to trust you based on what you've said to me, what you've done, but what you've said. It's a conversation still at the end of the day. And, I mean, obviously, you're somebody who believes that this can be learned um, and, by extension, can be taught. Um, like you don't, you don't have to be born with these qualities. So, I mean, how do, how do you go about learning this kind of, you know, taking stock in yourself or, or helping others take stock? So you're, you're helping to facilitate or, or, or teach this, this concept of, of better conversations and helping people become better leaders. You know, Jeff, what I'm going to say to this one is no different than what you would say about being, having a learning mindset that openness to believe I don't have all the mm. answers in the world, that I don't have the only perspective, and that somebody else might have an angle that would really matter. So let me describe the two things I want to talk about here, and then I will answer your question about how do you do it. But the first thing is when I look at leaders that many people in the organization admire, what's phenomenal about them is they will have just done some big talk for me in some ways. They'll come to me afterwards and they'll say, Wanda, you listen to that. What else could I do mm. that would be better? That unrelenting pursuit of what's one more tiny thing, small, subtle shift that if I did differently, I'd get more people on board constantly looking for that because they're looking to refine their edge and refine their right. edge and refine their edge. So that's one of the qualities I see that I think makes and that willingness to, to reflect and therefore the self-confidence in doing that is all really important. But the second quality here is we could list any wonderful quality about great leaders and I can give you the polar opposite. So let's take visionary, something we're all in love with, or communication. You can overdo that as much as you can underdo it. So the most important thing for me when I'm looking at leaders is getting the balance right. For every quality that you have, I want to make sure you're not overdoing it or underdoing it. I want to create balance. And I'll pick one of my favorite ones at the moment. Hot Topic is talking about authenticity. 
one of the questions is how do we create authenticity? What does that even look like and what are you doing? And it is one part confidence and one part humility. Too much confidence, I have a problem. Too much humility, I have a problem. It's a balance. And so what you're looking to do when you're looking to help people become better leaders is you want to help them take a look at their balance. Not that what they're doing is right or wrong, but how's it coming across? How is it being received? If you shifted your weight just a tiny bit from one side to the other side, would you get a better impact? And fortunately, it's relatively easy to help people see whether their balance is in place or not in place. And kind of how do you, how do you, you know, that's an easy one we can do. There's all sorts of techniques for doing that one. Then the question for making real change is to getting people focused on one or two of those issues and consistently changing what they do, noting how it has an impact, seeing success out of that. And then that just reinforces. And then we go down the line of the habit. Um, so it's, you know, for every great leader I know, none of them came great into the world. Right. It's an acquired skill. It's a lifelong skill, in my opinion. I don't think you ever get great at it. If you want a partner to help with building lifelong skills for the learners and leaders you serve, be sure to check out our sponsor. Compartners helps learning businesses conceive, develop, and fulfill their online education strategy. Their solutions begin with Elevate LMS, an award-winning learning platform that provides a central knowledge community and drives learner engagement. To extend the value of Elevate, Compartners provides a wide range of online education services, including curriculum design, instructional design, fully managed webinars, webcasts, live stream programs, and virtual conferences. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash compartners. And now back to the interview as Jeff and Wanda explore the connection between leading and learning. I'm hearing in there, and, and obviously I'm probably about as biased as somebody could possibly be on this, but the connection to learning that you, that you have to continually recognize the need for learning and be committed to learning, be, be open to, to that happening um, if you're going to develop a, as a leader. Well, let me pick another hot topic that's really important for collaboration that underscores what you just said, Jeff. And in without a doubt, as you look around the world, in any organization, profit or nonprofit, being able to be more collaborative tends to generate better results mm-hmm. if I can do it well. But the cornerstone of collaboration, the only way we ever get collaboration is when I'm willing to stop what I'm thinking and be open to the alternative that there might be another perspective. Right. And until I'm willing to do that, there will be no collaboration that happens. I will have a lot of yes people around me who say, yes, Wanda, you're right, you're right, you're right. But that's not going to generate collaboration. So again, you know, and I don't want to give up my ideas either, so you get back to that notion of balance. I think heart and soul is this openness to explore. Mm. Mm. And this is, uh, I think, a great. Uh, we're, we're building the path, I think, naturally to the the core of your recent book. You can't know it all, leading in the age of deep expertise. And um, and I and the the core concept there, at least as I took it, is you you have this idea of an expert leader, and I'd, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what an expert leader is. And, and now the need to be what you call a spanning leader, which is going to be that person who doesn't know it all, who does need to collaborate, who does need to continually be checking the, the balance and, and growing and developing 
in that leadership role where he or she doesn't have all the answers. So can you talk a little bit more about that, that concept of the, the expert leader and then you know, how, how you're contrasting it with this spanning leader in, in your book, You Can't Know It All? Yeah. Let me um, offend absolutely every leadership <laughs> expert who's listening to me at this moment, please do, please because do. I'm going to say first, first off, I personally believe that the notion of developing a general manager, that we develop somebody who could lead absolutely anything, any contacts, we plop them down and they can be an effective leader is missing the mark mm. today. We are a knowledge driven economy. So businesses are driven, desperately need people who have deep expertise in very specific things. Think about the kind of IT experts we need. Think about the risk experts we need. Think about the finance experts we need. Think about the legal and compliance experts we need. Think about the market experts we need, the engineers we need, the industry experts we need. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. So rather than coming into a company and thinking that you're going to become a general manager, what most people end up doing is becoming an expert leader, meaning I'm leading, people are following me because they know I know more than they do. And so they give me huge credibility for that. They trust me because of the expertise. They're willing to follow me because they think I know more and they're going to learn from me. Um, and it sets up everything we begin to do in organizations in leadership role. And it can go, we're not talking about junior level. This can go all the way to the C-suite. I mean, I've seen CFOs and chief legal officers and a whole host of people who lead as the expert of their function. They know everything about it. No surprises. Now, that's great because they are the heroes of the organization. When something goes wrong, they're the one that's going to step in and more often than not figure out what happened and what we do about it. So, Expert leadership is a good thing, and it's here to stay, but it sets up a particular style of leadership, which is fundamentally, I know, let me explain it to you, in a nice, conducive, instructional, collaborative manner, yes, but our exchange, our conversation now is going to be about the facts, about the content, about what I know. That's what I bring to the table, if you will. Okay? Now... It's not that we need general leaders. And the reason I say that is if you think about taking somebody to bring in, let's say at a very high level, let's say even as a CEO into your organization at the moment, who knows nothing about your industry, there'd be very few companies who would right. take that bet. There would be very few people on the uh, management team who'd be happy with that bet either. I won't say never, but there'd be very few of them. So we want some expertise. But we also want you to be able to span across just your area of expertise. That's mm. why I call it spanning. So it's not that we just become generalist. It's that we have the ability to know some content and lead when we don't know the content. And that's what the spanning is all about. So when I'm in a place where people reporting to me know more than I know, a bunch of questions are called into place, call, called into question. One is, what is my value? How am I helping this organization, this team? And two, why are you following me? What do I have to bring to the party that's useful and worthwhile? And then if I'm not in there digging into the details of why we've got the problems where we've got, what is my job? What am I supposed to be doing? What work am I doing? And then how am I talking to people? 
It's that those are the core questions that get asked and that the spanning leader has to learn to answer and get comfortable with. You know, it's funny, as, as you're talking, uh, and this is one of the reasons I, I love uh, podcasting and having these kind of conversations, because it's, um, it's helping me to make some connections I hadn't quite been making before. And as you know, uh, I do a lot of work with trade and professional associations, and particularly with um, you know, boards and CEOs of those organizations. And it, it just occurs to me now that as you're describing the spanning leader, that that's, that is so often particularly what a, an association CEO has to be right from the get-go because associations are usually bringing somebody in to be the CEO or executive director who isn't, really, who isn't necessarily from the industry, doesn't know the industry, um, and has to figure out uh, very quickly how, how to collaborate, uh, who, the, who the experts are in different areas, and, and start building that kind of coalition that's going to help lead uh, th- that group of people forward. Um, so it's, I think it's an incredibly useful uh, concept, well, in, in, in all contexts, but uh, it particularly rings true for me in, in that context in a way that I hadn't quite appreciated before this. Right. Well, if you think about the example you gave, so somebody comes in as CEO of a trade organization and doesn't necessarily know the trade, really quickly, like in a matter of months, that person has to figure out what it is they do bring, what knowledge they bring, and how do they use that? What are they doing for the organization that's going to make the organization better? And if you can't answer that question quickly, then it's not going to be a happy tenure. What are you doing to help make your learners better? To answer that question, you need data. And to get high quality data, we encourage you to check out our sponsor. Authentic Learning Labs is an e-learning company that offers products and services to help improve your current investments in education. One key product is Authentic Analytics, a dedicated suite of visualization reports to help analyze and predict the performance of education programs. Organizations use Authentic Analytics to easily scan through volumes of data in intuitive visuals, chart performance trends, and quickly spot opportunities, issues, and potential future needs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. And now back to the interview as Jeff and Wanda discuss how to take stock in your own value and start making the transition toward becoming a spanning leader. And so, I mean, you've, you've gotten at this, but I just want to make it uh, as clear as possible for listeners. So, you know, if you are listening to this, have an aha moment, realize that, uh, you know, either you are that expert leader who needs to become the spanning leader, or you aren't. You aren't an expert in the first place and have to become a a spanning leader in the, in the type of situation that we just described. What are what are the first steps you would take to make that transition? And I mean, is, is it you know, is it just about asking the the questions that you just raised, and or do you? I mean, as part of doing that, do you get input from others? How do you how do you really take stock as to where your value is? and how you're going to be able to develop into that, that spanning leader that you need to be. All right. So the first thing is to recognize that I believe about 85% of jobs are some percentage of expert and spanning. Mm. It's never, it's rarely pure one or the other. So you bring some expertise and have a lot of spanning, or you bring a, a lot of expertise and a little bit of spanning. So the first question is understand what kind of a role am I in? What's expected of me in this role? And the single best way of doing that is just to talk with whoever's hiring you. What proportion of my time do you think I need to be focused on the expertise, the content, and what proportion of my time do I need to be focused on the enabling side? Right. 
the helping other people deliver that. So that's the first piece. Get in your head how much of this I need to be doing. Then the second question is to really say, so what's my value in this spanning space? It's not my content knowledge, but somebody hired me into this role for a reason. What was that reason? And how am I helping the organization? And typically that is I'm helping my team become a stronger team so they answer questions for themselves. I'm opening my network to give them insight and perspective that they don't have otherwise. I'm putting a point of focus on so we know where our priorities are, where they're not. Um, I'm making sure we have better conversations collectively so we all understand the Mm -hmm. picture. It's usually some variation on those themes. But the core question is, What's the value I'm adding? Right, and you just you just raised conversations, which uh, I was going to ask about. You know how how that fits in here. Um, I, you know, I guess it's making those better conversations uh, a part of the, the organization, um, the, the context that you're in, is, is essential to um, to being effective as as a spanning leader. Yeah, let me let me do a metaphor here for this one that I think will make it clear to people. When I'm the expert, I am the doer. I'm the knower mm-hmm. and the doer, and I'm expected to be right and be on top of it and know all, everything kind of at the tip of my tongue. When somebody calls and says, "What's X?" I should know. Doer, knower. When I'm in a spanning role, the work still has to get done. Only I'm not doing it. Got it. I'm enabling other people to do it. So your value comes from how you go about enabling other people to be more effective. Right, right. And I'm, I'm again making a connection because I can you know, see in, in my own situation, which is the situation of so many entrepreneurs, you know, we've, we've got a small company, we don't have a, a large staff, we don't want a large staff, but we have to somehow manage to get people with expertise to work with us, um, you know, in, in contract roles, um, sometimes in, in sort of quasi-volunteer roles, and just I can see how you know being good at doing that, at least for us, that that is the key to growth. We don't we don't grow without being able to do that, and I, and I recognize the the challenge of being able to do that effectively because it can be it can be quite challenging to to make that transition. Okay, I mean, especially when you're the one who knows more than other people, as right. which is often the case for the entrepreneur starting an entrepreneurial organization. You feel like you know the market, you know the content, you know the technology, you know everything better than everybody else. And boy, finding the bandwidth to move that on is a yeah. tough one. It's the exact same thing for any expert leader. Yeah, definitely. And now I know in recent years, um, you have focused particularly on women in, in leadership um, how, well, first of all, I'd love to know, you know, what, what drove that, that focus. Um, but, but then how does, how does gender factor into this whole concept of spanning leadership? Yeah. My focus on helping women, and I often say it's about helping women get up the curve, stick and thrive. Cause mm-hmm. I want people to have a good time while they're there. I want to enjoy it. I want to be successful in every aspect of their life. Um, it was a Sarah, it's serendipity. It's pure accident. I um, had left Duke University and was starting the business that I'm with now, Leadership Forum. I had a little more time on my hands than I might normally have on my hands. And people were asking the question of, why are senior women? We get them up to a senior position and they walk right out the door. And being in the executive ed classroom, I'd seen a lot of this. And I talked to a lot of people about those experiences, male and female. And I had my own experiences as well, working with clients. To me, it was an absolutely blindingly obvious answer. 
But apparently what I was saying to people about why women were leaving was not blindingly obvious to anybody else. So I got talked into doing a piece of research um, just to document my point of view. And a hundred interviews later, my life turned over. I never expected to be focused on working with women. I never expected that we would stay as focused on this topic for as long as we have. And I never expected it would become as big of an issue as it has become when you think about creating an inclusive culture. Mm. So it was an accident. But in question to you, how does gender tie into this? It's actually the work with women that got me to understand this whole phenomena and challenge of expert leaders. Because most women in the organization, as they rise in the ranks and they're highly rated and promoted and praised and valued, are the experts. They are the super doers. They are the ones who will get it done regardless what else. And we depend upon them and we love them and they're a bit of a hero and we never promote them out of those roles because we don't know what to do with them otherwise. And they don't look like the seasoned, let me call leadership leader, quote unquote, who can enable other people. They look like the expert. And it keeps them in a number two position. Interesting. And so it's watching that phenomena and seeing those perceptions that I came to realize for many women, they love being in an expert role because it's the comfort zone. And because they don't have to do all that politics stuff, their work can speak for itself. People call them when they need their expertise. It's a bit of a safety Mm -hmm. zone. And so the women are satisfied there. The organization is incredibly satisfied there, but it just doesn't get you to the next step. And that next step means to get out of the comfort zone, to take some traumatic risk in career, to do something where you don't have the answers, somebody else does. And that, so I started working with women and helping them understand how to get out of that comfort zone. And then I look around and said, wait a minute. My IT specialist have the exact same problem. Exact same, yeah. yeah. My legal profession has the exact same problem. My um, finance traders have the exact same problem. And I started looking around and went, went, wait a minute, who doesn't have this problem? Yeah. It's not anybody who's yeah. being pigeonholed. Yeah, has that has that issue. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Anybody who's become the expert and valued for the expert, and now needs or wants to broaden their scope, has to deal with this issue. And that's a lot of folks. Definitely, definitely. And you, you know, mentioned the the phrase there, out of the the comfort zone, which, uh, you know, I think is 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 so important in learning. Um, you know, if you're if you're really going to learn and grow, you you have to be willing to get uncomfortable, um, take some risk. Uh, learning takes effort. Uh, if you're not willing to, you know, put that effort in, um, it, it's it's really difficult to to get to new places and. Um, and I also raise out of the comfort zone because uh, you you actually have a a podcast a, a show um, by that name um, which I was fortunate enough to be on recently and we'll uh, we'll definitely link to that conversation in the show notes for this episode. But um, this is uh, a bit of a tangent here, or I'm, or I'm taking us in a different direction. But I, I never can resist when I've got somebody on the show who is actually a, a show host themselves uh, who's who's jumped on the the podcasting bandwagon to, to ask them about their experience with it. Um, so I, I, I'd love to know, uh, again, kind of switching gears here, but uh, what, what attracted you to 
having a show like uh, Out of the Comfort Zone, uh, you know, jumping on this uh, this podcasting trend, um, and how has it helped you um, so far in, in pursuing, you know, your your business goals and, and, and spreading your ideas? Well, it's fascinating, Jeff, because we're going into the fifth year of this. I thought I would do thirteen episodes and be done. Quite honestly. And the first time my executive producer called me and said, I'd like to think you to think about this when I left that. In fact, it took me three months to return his phone call before I finally decided. And I remember saying to him, so why would I want to do this? And the reason I started, quite honestly, was thinking that this would be a chance to reach an audience that would never have the opportunity to come to one of my classroom mm-hmm. training sessions either because of level or because of geographic location or because of size of organization. And I thought, okay, this is not bad for a publicity and reach point of view, but it's also a good give back. So we did the 13 shows. We got really good reviews on them. And I thought, okay, well, that wasn't so bad. And Robert, the executive producer, talked me into doing a year. And I said, why why do I want to do this? And like, really, seriously, why do I want to do this? And he said to me at the time, because this is going to put you in touch with people that you would never naturally talk to. And he is right. It is my single best current learning platform. Because I see a book or meet an executive or hear a story that I think is fascinating. And we call them up and say, hey, would you like to be a guest? So it gives me license to have an hour private conversation with somebody. Granted, we're recording it. Um, on a topic I'm just curious and interested about. I, it couldn't be more fun. I, I love that answer. So we're into yeah. five years. That's that's amazing. We're we're in our fifth year here, and like you, I, if somebody had asked me back when we started this, we did it as sort of a lead up to a, an event that we were hosting and thought it'd be a good way to provide some content leading into the event. We didn't know if we'd carry it on after the event or not, and now here we are, you know, 200 episodes later. And um, yeah, like you said, I mean. It, it's a it's an amazing learning platform. Uh, we certainly hope, as I know you do as well, that you're hoping you're helping the listeners learn. But then, undeniably, um, it's it's a learning uh, opportunity for for you for me to be able to have these kinds of conversations. And as I've already indicated a couple of times during the conversation today, some things have clicked that um, that might not have uh, otherwise, and that were important. Um, and and it was all because we had this conversation, uh, this very private public conversation that we're having uh, around leadership and, and learning. So, uh, hey, Jeff, it's all back yeah, to conversations. There, yeah, there exactly. you go. All right. So back back to conversations. Great. Well. This this certainly has been uh, a fantastic conversation. It's always uh, always interesting talking with you, Wanda. I remember first meeting you way back in the the gogo.com days when things were interesting back then as well. And um, it's nice the conversation has continued all these years. Um, one thing that we uh, always like to, to raise in, in our conversations with uh, our guests, this is sort of our, our signature question, at least for right now. It'll probably change at some point in the future. But because this is a podcast about uh, uh, learning and about leadership, uh, for that matter. We like to ask all of our guests a question about their their own learning. And the question is, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? It's um, so I'm going to do something I rarely do, which is be quite honest on this one, quite open about this one. Um, I think most of, one of the most powerful things that I have done as an adult is to do a ther- work with a therapist. 
So not a psychotherapist, but just a therapist, regular, old, ordinary therapy. And the, you know, it's not that there was a problem or that I had some trauma from childhood or some, any of those issues with the biggest power coming out of those conversations with that person, Nancy is her name, was to recognize that my reactions that I'm having today in the moment to whatever event I'm talking with her about that I'm frustrated by have their seeds in something that happened previously. Now, sometimes that's childhood. Sometimes that was five years ago. Sometimes it was something else. And that, you know, you can separate the two. I can separate what I felt and experienced in the past and recognize that that's not necessarily how I really feel or what I'm going to experience today. And therefore, I can do something differently. And that just, I mean, that just opens up so much understanding about being able to hear a different perspective. And that has to be one of those single powerful lessons I've taken. Well, th- thanks for sharing that because I'm, I'm sure a lot of, well, there may be listeners who do work with therapists. I'm sure a lot have wondered about whether that would be something valuable to do. And um, that's such a great lesson to take from it. And I think relates back into well, our overarching theme of, of learning so well. You and I discussed in, in uh, the, the recent conversation we had on your show the whole idea of availability and you know often what can interfere with availability is some of the baggage that we're bringing with us in, in one way or another, uh, which often has to do with those past experiences. And uh, like you said, being able to recognize that that is the past and that you know you can separate things and, and open yourself up to uh, new perspectives and new experiences. So that's that's fantastic. Thanks so much for for sharing that. If listeners want to learn more about you, which I'm sure they are going to want to learn more about you, about your work, we'll obviously uh, link to the book in in the show notes. And I definitely uh, highly recommend uh, Wanda's book and in fact, all of her books. But if folks want to be able to um, learn more about you, possibly connect with you, where should they go? I'm pretty easy to find. So go search my name, Wanda Wallace, and Out of the Comfort Zone, and you'll get all the shows, and you'll get lots of information there about how to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And our website as a company is leadership-forum.com. Any of those will get you to me. Great. Well, we'll be, we'll be sure to link to all of those. Uh, I definitely do um, for, you know, People who are listening here are obviously podcast listeners, so I do uh, highly recommend that you do listen to Out of the Comfort Zone with Wanda Wallace uh, for more great conversations like this one. Wanda, thanks so much for being here with us on Leading Learning. Thanks, Jeff. It's always great to talk to you. That concludes the interview with Wanda Wallace. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 205. And the show notes will include the two reflection questions for this episode. First, think about one or more important conversations that have happened recently in your organization. How were they or were they not high quality? And then second, to what extent is your value in being an expert? And to what extent are you helping to enable others and create value through being a spanner? Do you need to shift that balance? 
When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple, and then that will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review. But even more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. You can find out about Authentic Learning Labs at leadinglearning.com slash authentic, and you can visit CompPartners at leadinglearning.com slash CompPartners. Finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. And you can, of course, share us with others on Facebook. However you do it, please do spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.